Hello there, it's Michael here, and thank you for joining us on episode eight of the Journey Continues podcast. Today's episode features Hannah Miley, a competitive swimmer who's a triple Olympian and two-time Commonwealth champion. This is a great one. Here's a clip of what's in store. The outcome was more than just the medals, the personal best times. The outcome was more than that. It was how to achieve it that I realized was just as important. Um, and yeah, and as I say, it's allowed me to actually enjoy my sport a lot more and given me that deep perspective. And I, I can take that actually not just into swimming, but into life at West Women. Um, because at some point, you know, I am going to have to hang up my goggles and, you know, I, you're not going to get gold medal for getting around the supermarket the fastest. Uh, you know, this, I'm going to have to find different ways to kind of get that self-gratification. And for me, I realized that, you know, those processes, goal setting, finding your purpose, they all actually are important for me for life after sport as well. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Cordigan and this is the Journey Continues podcast, where we speak to interesting individuals about how they've navigated the challenges in their lives. Our mission is not to provide advice, but it is 100% to provide insight into what our guests were thinking and feeling through these times so that you can cherry pick the information that resonates with you the most. Today's guest is Hannah Miley, a competitive swimmer who has represented Great Britain at three Olympic Games, as well as being the Commonwealth champion in 2010 and 2014. Today, we're going to explore Hannah's journey and how she's overcome some of the challenges she's faced along the way. Hannah, welcome, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, I'm really excited for this one. This will be, this will be good, a good conversation, so a good way to end the week on a Friday. Uh, excited <laughs> yeah. for it. <laughs> cool. So... Do you maybe want to start off with how it all started and what the what your story is? Yeah, so I basically splash around for a living. Um, I, yeah, uh, it's it's a very uh, unusual sport. Swimming is something that you see, you know, once every four years at the Olympic Games. But for me, it started from a very young age. Dad threw me in the pool when I was about three, taught me how to swim. And just as I was growing up, I just felt, I just felt more comfortable being in water. Um, it, it just felt like that was my sort of extra bubble. I, you know, I could live in my own head. I was a very imaginative, imaginative child. I uh, had great vivid imagery and creativity, and it always seemed to come about when I was in the pool. And I used to think I was a mermaid. Used to think I was flying. So you know, those sorts of bits kind of kept my sort of imagination pretty much in check. Um, I have incredibly floppy feet, so I, you know, I would give it a hundred percent. I'm very, very competitive when I was younger. Um, you know, I'd always try and, you know, even schoolwork, like I had to finish my schoolwork first or I had to get the best score. Like just the competitive side in me was just inbuilt from such a young age. Um, and yeah, and I did other activities as well. Try to do you know, a bit of running, try to do team sports like netball and having incredibly floppy ankles. Great for swimming not so good for land-based sports i can trip over on a flat floor like it's just i'm just not that coordinated um and yeah and just as i got got older i just felt swimming just felt more like home for me i just love the fact that it was different to everybody else and for me you know if everyone goes right i always went left whether that's just being awkward or stubborn i just felt i had that need to be different and and swimming created that difference because there weren't that many kids in my sort of year that took swimming as their hobby. They learned how to swim. I loved it when we got to have uh, swimming as part of our PE um, sort of um, sport in our class. And, you know, I, I guess I was a little bit of a show off when I was younger because I always tried to find ways of making it effortless. But it wasn't until I was maybe 2000 and I was 10 years old and I was watching the Sydney Olympics for the first time. And, um, you know, I, you know, I enjoyed watching swimming, but for me, I loved doing swimming. For me, I loved being in the water rather than watching it. Mm -hmm. But my dad was heavily involved in swimming from, you know, from when I was really, really small. And he'd worked with a couple of uh, Olympic athletes who actually went on to win Olympic gold medals. And there was this one particular swimmer called Misty Hyman. And it was one of the most incredible races I'd watched at the Olympics. And for me, the first thing that stood out was she was behind the block with this massive grin on her face, just loving every minute. Everybody else was just so focused and in the zone, but her living in the moment was something that really kind of captured my attention. And then she 
pulls out this swim that's you know caused one of the biggest upsets I think in Olympic history she beat the home crowd favorite an Australian girl called Susie O'Neill and just her underwater work like she looked like what I would imagine a mermaid would be in the water just about a time in the effortlessness of it it was just so spectacular so for me she became my idol and not just because she won an Olympic gold medal but just who she was as a person because I thought you know what she's worked so hard and to know that you've worked so hard to get to the point where all you've got left to do is to just enjoy the moment I thought that's a pretty cool place to be in. So, yeah, so from there, you know, I kind of took my swimming to the next level, tried to still stay competitive. And uh, I was always pretty small. <laughs> I'm quite petite for a swimmer, only five foot five. And I get towered over by a lot of athletes. And for me, that just makes me fight harder. I love being the underdog and kind of being, I guess, the little Jack Russell up against the big German shepherds. Um, you know, I, I just keep going and going. And if everybody feels, oh, I'm going to have to give up on this, I'm the, you know, the, the last person to kind of give up on it because I, I just keep biting after it. Um, and yeah, and, you know, it's taken me to three Olympic Games, four Commonwealth Games. I've been able to travel the world with my sport. And it's, certainly been a massive opportunity and if you know I hadn't have decided to focus in on it I don't know whether I would have uh, been able to go on this incredible journey and you know through sport it's been great being on the podium is amazing but there's so many life lessons that sports you know taught me uh, whether it's you know different cultural uh, differences when you go to different countries and taking on board that and it certainly opened up a lot of doors and opened my eyes to quite a few things so yeah, and at the age of 31 just now, you know, we're in a completely different um, position with the pandemic. So obviously travel's not been uh, possible and training as well has been really, really challenging. But, you know, for me, I see that as just another chapter in my story to hopefully move on and learn from. That's incredible. That's a really, that's a really incredible story <laughs> that you've just told. Um, a lot of stuff to unpack there. Um, yeah. yeah, so... I, if we're if we, if we focus on the pandemic for a little bit um because when we talked about this previously it really when we spoke it really hit me and as to how much of a challenge it's been mm. and when I speak to people there's always a moment where you know there was a moment where it's the the virus was something that was happening in a far far away land and all of a sudden it was on our doorstep and a lot of things happened really quickly so there's this very like people share this very everyone remembers where they were when they knew it was a thing and it was it was really happening when did the penny drop for you what, and what was that like it was kind of a build-up so I was racing in Northern Ireland in February and ironically I actually had a chest infection so whether I actually had COVID or not I don't know um but it, it was quite bad I had it in January and I just couldn't shift it and then racing in Northern Ireland and there was talks about it and you know a couple of people were coughing and my coach my dad and the sort of sports physiotherapist that we had uh, was kind of you know joking going oh if they got COVID but it didn't really kind of twig that this was going to be a massive issue it just felt like oh you know this in December January time you know you talk about the flu and the common colds and you just try and avoid people who are ill so it just felt like it was one of those sort of bugs or illnesses going around that you just think all right just avoid people that are coughing then I was racing again in March and I ended up with actually a really bad shoulder so I actually couldn't finish the competition in March but little did I know that that was the last time I was going to be in a swimming pool because then all of a sudden it was you can't train Mm -hmm. um so it, it did pretty much happen very quickly in that sense but I was aware that it was building up just lots of talks of people saying or oh, I think it was we heard Swim Ireland had shut down a lot of training centers and everything was going into lockdown and we were thinking is that going to come over to us we're not sure you know it's been talked about but nothing seemed to kind of be building up to this big thing and then yeah a couple of days after not you know pulling out that competition it was like yep you're not getting back in the pool and there was no indicators that you know how long it was going to be for what the process was for well you know just sit tight for a couple of weeks or is it a couple of days um you're very much in the dark with it all so it, it was pretty sudden but at the same time you were aware of the build-up for it if that makes sense yeah 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 absolutely and then how is that then i mean the olympic cycle is obviously something that everyone's very aware of 
it's you know I imagine things are pretty much set in stone you know years in advance how I mean how is this how has this affected that uh, massively I mean it's the Olympic year it's like out of all the years for this to happen <laughs> it was one of the biggest ones because you work off a four-year cycle so you build up your training for three years and then the year leading into the Olympics all you've got left to do is to just fine-tune things work on your psychology because you've got that foundation of work and the hardest part was knowing that each day I spent out the water I was watching that block of work, that huge foundation that I spent so long working on just being chipped away and getting less and less. And mentally, that was really, really hard because there's nothing I could do about it. You know, no amount of time just lying in the bath, that was probably the only way I could replicate swimming. Um, (laughs) You know, and you you watch guys who were doing athletics and, you know, they could kind of go outside and do some form of running. You could kind of go out on a bike for cyclists. But for swimming, like we have our main you know, our main field of sport we have no access to. I did try and go into open water swimming and I had the gear and no idea, uh, you know, trying to swim in the North Sea in March. Um, yeah. <laughs> Would be say, cold. It, was, it was very cold. It was four degrees and I got the water line up to here, you know, practice the acclimatization and yeah, it was a bit chilly, but I thought I got the hang of it and I was like, okay, I'm going to get into it. You know, if I can do just, you know, a couple of laps of this cove, it'd be great. And I just got to the waterline just below my chin. And I thought, I can't stick my head under. It's really cold. I've got brain freeze already. My head's not even under the water. And I thought, I can't do this. I, I really can't do this. So, you know, I got out of the water and I felt good for being in the water. And it was really difficult to then take my wetsuit off because I, my hands were numb. <laughs> like I was just, you know, trying to do like your uh, jacket button up when you're in the cold. It's, it's really hard. It was no different to that. Um. And yeah, and it, and I was just trying in my head to find all the different ways possible to hold on to that foundation of work that I worked on. So, and we live off routine. As an athlete, you know what time you're waking up, you know when, when you're training, how long for, when you eat, when you rest, when you sleep. Like there's so many bits that are just exactly planned out because you have to have that predictability because you need to plan it, you need to know it. And it just threw everything out of the water. And I had in my head that, you know, coming into the Olympic games, I was going to, this was going to be my last year in swimming. I was looking at retirement. So I was thinking, you know, from September, 2020, I was going to look at, you know, life after sport. So that, yeah. And then when, <laughs> and when we weren't sure whether the Olympics were going to go ahead or not, it was okay. You know, if it is going to go ahead, how's the team going to get picked? Am I going to be fit enough? Um, my event being 400 meters, which is about four and a half minutes long, you know, it's considered middle distance to distance. So I need that foundation of work. I'm not a sprinter. You know, my race is definitely not a short race. Um, so I didn't know, you know, I know it takes that long time to build up that sort of endurance and that aerobic capacity and aerobic base. So, yeah, it was just a huge mind jumble, uh, kind of that sort of first six weeks. Um, and then once the Olympics were cancelled and postponed, you kind of left with going, okay, so can I hang on for another year? Am I financially able to hang on for another year? Can I get the training in to stay on for another year? Um, And, you know, it wasn't just me that impacted that decision was my partner as well, my long suffering fiance, who's been involved in my swimming career for quite a fair bit, a fair few years. So, you know, I had to kind of deal with that. Can I hang on for another year? Um, but I'm, I, you know, I'm a creature of habit. I love my routine. I love knowing what's happening. And it just literally just turned everything 180. I had to become flexible. <laughs> I had to become pretty free fluid, uh, no pun intended, with my movements. And um, I, and actually really try and adapt my sort of whole mentality and try and stop being so rigid with my thinking. So, yeah, it's been tough. But uh, coming, you know, a year later on the other side of it, I've certainly learned an awful lot and it's definitely made me a lot more resilient individual as I'm sure it's made a lot of people a lot more resilient uh, if we sit back and really think about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been a lesson in resilience for us all, I think. You mentioned, so there's a couple of things there. So what what is the, obviously the Olympics are still in the calendar for July of this year? At the moment, yeah, we've not heard anything different, so... Right, okay. And then how does that work with the, the qualifiers coming up as well? 
So we have our qualifying meet in April. Uh, the 14th of April is when we uh, start racing. Um, so originally it was April last year that we were going to have, you know, a, a six-day competition. And I think they've reduced it to four or five days now. Um, so we still have to go down to London to compete qualifying time and then come in the top two as well. So there's a couple of bits of criteria to try and qualify. There are opportunities uh, to qualify also in May and in June, but the main bulk of the team will be picked in April. So at the minute, you know, the plans are still to go ahead as if the games are still confirmed to be going ahead. Um, right, yeah. So training at the minute has been very, very disrupted and whether I can qualify or not is very much up in the air, but I kind of have the mindset now as well. I'd like to give myself the opportunity to. And on top of, you know, all that's happened with the pandemic, I also had shoulder surgery in October. So <laughs> it's certainly been a tough year as an athlete, I guess. There's people out there that I'm very aware of who had more, uh, definitely a, a lot more tough uh, sort of situation than what I've been in. But um, yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, I'm getting through it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh we talked a lot about, about about routine. I think everyone's a creature of habit, and I think like you know, from a, a, a one of the really obvious business examples that I can think of with Turtle is everyone. Everyone was used to work in the office. There would be a certain pattern to when people would speak and have meetings and just go about their day, and then all of a sudden, everyone was working from home. They then transitioned to using Zoom and all the other things. And, um, you know, I think the whole world is Zoom fatigued at some, uh, at some level right now um, and, and really and uh, actually really craving in-person meetings. You know, yeah. um, some people uh, some people really adapted incredibly well to working from home. Some people just didn't. I think I'm probably somewhere in between. Um, but it was almost like when you, you almost had to learn how to walk again, in a sense, because it was there was a pattern of doing things and that, that pattern was completely disrupted. It was very difficult to plan because the, the situation was changing, like, you know, every, I mean, every week, to be honest, like something else would come out and you, you would have to adapt to it. I'm sure people thought in March of last year when it started that, okay, we're back in the office in the summer and now here we are a year later. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the I, I guess the, to touch on you becoming a bit more, a bit more flexible and a bit more, you know, I guess like less, less, less routine led and more, I guess, more just, yeah, take, in a sense, taking it as it comes. How did you, how did you go about doing that? And I guess, how did you manage, how did you manage your emotions through that? How did you manage just in moods as well? That would be interesting to, to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it definitely went through several phases and even still to this day, I don't know whether I've got it right. I think that's the one thing I always felt I had to get things right. And being in a routine, it's yeah, like... I don't think anyone has, yeah. though. I don't think anyone knows. Like, I think we're just, we're all just doing our, our best. Yes, very much so. And, and I've kind of learned to, you know what, as long as I'm fine, that's the main thing, you know? Yeah. And the first three weeks, like, I felt my motivation levels were, like, up here because I thought, okay, well, you know... We're going to hear the next announcement in three weeks' time once lockdown has started. Um, let's try and find ways to keep ourselves fit. So working on land-based programs, so using Zoom. And, um, you know, we try to find a way with my team uh, to, you know, have the set same time each morning to get up to do the workout. Some people are saying, oh, could we not do it in the afternoon? And uh, I'm one of these people where if I was given the choice of training in the morning or training in the afternoon, I'd rather train in the morning because then I know I've got the rest of the day. Whereas I know there's some people that'd be like, oh no, I'd rather have a lie in in the morning and then train in the afternoon. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I think the vote kind of got to the point where it's like, no, I think 9 a.m., you know, each morning we're going to do like an hour long Zoom session, just different types of workouts. To start with, it was our coach that was prescribing it. And then eventually we kind of took it upon ourselves to, you know, do like a timetable. So each swimmer got to make their own workout. So it felt like we had a bit of an input. But um, after, you know, three weeks, you could tell motivation levels were starting to wane a little bit. And for me, especially after three weeks, when you found out lockdowns extended even more, I just plummeted into this really kind of dark place. It was just frustrating. You know, mm. there was no sight as to the end of it. Um, and I actually kind of found that my dog 
became my sort of like savior in that sense of routine because you know I'm used to my alarm going off at 4 30 in the morning you know two and a half hours of training in the pool food and then training another two and a half hours in the afternoon with a possible one hour two hour gym session in the middle so I'm pretty busy all the time and then to suddenly just stop and not do anything um yeah a couple of days you feel great you know nice to rest up but then you just lose that sense of purpose because I felt you know I am a swimmer I don't have swimming so what am I you know I can't be a swimmer without being able to swim and doing the land training you can definitely tell we're fish out of water we're just trying our best to sort of do the exercises without you know falling flat on my face tripping over my floppy ankles or you know doing any other sort of serious harm but poppy was the best thing ever because you know, I had to get to bed at a reasonable hour because she was always awake at seven o'clock in the morning wanting to be let out of the toilet. She was still quite a young puppy last year. She's now a year and a half. So, you know, we were still very much in the puppy stages March last year. And then she had to be fed at a certain time. And then it was like, right, okay, well, now that we're up, I've done my workout, let's go for a walk. And, you know, that in itself, she created a little routine for both my partner and I. So it gave us some structure and I kind of found that routine isn't necessarily I need to do these things throughout the day. It's a sense of structure, a sense of finding that purpose so that once you finish the day, you know that, okay, I've used that time effectively. Because that's one thing I didn't realize actually lockdown's given us. It was time. I always felt, mm. oh, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to do this. And actually now it was like, I've actually got too much time. <laughs> I don't know how to fill it. Mm. So we kind of found you know the best thing to go from being highly structured and routine is to actually just create a little bit more of a structure so that each day you know I wasn't sleeping in until two o'clock in the afternoon Poppy definitely wouldn't let me do that <laughs> um, <laughs> it just wouldn't be fair for her but at the same time I definitely felt my well-being just feels a little bit better for that because you can still eat and drink at the same you know it's, it's amazing how you're if you you know eat at the wrong times or leave it till later how you know it can impact your sleep you don't eat dinner until like nine o'clock at night you're going to struggle to get to bed and then if you struggle to get to bed you're going to be tired when you wake up in the morning or sleep in later so it all had I noted it had a big knock-on effect so I had to kind of create my own little structure and routine, A, to keep me motivated in a sense, but also realize that it's okay if it doesn't stick to it, as long as I feel like I can achieve something at the end of each day, that gave me that sense of purpose to, to keep my motivation levels up, even when it dropped, because uh, that was hard. That was very hard. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's a couple of things there. So uh quick question so you mentioned at the start and you, can, you mentioned there as well where you said your motivation dropped after mm -hmm. maybe three weeks is that because you didn't have anything to aim for in a sense because of, it, yes. it was always changing very yeah. much so yeah, yeah. It, it was that just that target that goal and then I realized actually how important it is sometimes to set goals it doesn't have to be one massive goal it can be a series of micro goals. And that's where I found that sense of purpose actually came in really handy was, okay, so today, you know, what are the things that I want to achieve by the end of the day? And just a little and often actually really helped give me that sort of target, something to aim for. And that's helped pull my motivation levels back up. Because there was other things as well that was happening. Like we had a lot of health um, scares and issues with my family and my partner's family as well. And the worst part was just feeling useless, not being able to actually physically go and help. Um, all you had to do was just sit and hear what happened and then be like, I can't do anything to help. And, and that was the, that was the worst part because you, you know, normally you would just go, right, let's, you know, drop everything and go and help with the family situation, support the family, support the individual who's, you know, uh, suffering. And you just couldn't do that. And, I'm a type of person that likes to help people. I, you know, for me, I, I really enjoy doing that. And to not be able to do that was just, it was awful because I felt like, you know, I hope my family feel like I, I am thinking about them and I want to go and help, but I can't. And yeah, that, that really played a lot on my mind uh, and just made me feel very frustrated, very upset. And um, emotionally, it was, it was really, really hard. And it's something that I definitely don't want to go through again. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot, I mean, I know what I did at times, uh, I think a, people, a lot of people felt quite powerless. I felt as if at times I was, you know, thinking, okay, I can fix this. And then I was trying to pull two or three levers to do that. And they, those things would usually fix it for me and then they couldn't 
or they, or they didn't. And the yeah, the kind of the sense of helplessness at times was really quite difficult to to deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, on you, on you go. No, I was going to say one of the things that really helped me was a strategy I call the well, it's control and can't control. So sitting down with a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle. And you have two columns, one column you write control at the top and then can't control on the other side. And you literally just list all the things that you actually have control of. So you can control what time you wake up within a roundabout reason, unless you've got a dog that barks at 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> you can, I mean, you can still choose to stay in bed. You know, <laughs> um, you can control, you know, when you have your food, you can control what you eat, uh, you can control what clothes you wear, you can control if you decide to have a shower or not, you know, those little bits. But then write down the list of things that you have no control over. Like we have no control over the weather. We have no control over what the government's going to say. We have no control over what's going to be said on the news. And sometimes just writing that list of things down that right then and there, what you can't control can be quite cathartic. And it just puts into realization of, okay, sometimes the things we overstress and have anxiety and overfocus on are actually things that we don't, we can't control. So I tend to rip that down the middle, look at that piece of can't control uh, and all those words, and I just roll it up into a ball and actually put it into the bin. So for me, I'm physically getting rid of those aspects that I can't control. So I can put all of my focus in on, okay, well, I can't control those things. Let's focus on the bits that I know that I do have control over. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes it could be, you know, I'm going to go grab a shower because I just want to refresh. I'm going to go out for that walk. I'm going to you know, make myself a smoothie or, you know, those little bits that you have control of. And over time that I feel helps just realign the sort of, if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or anxious, it, it just kind of takes you away from that a little bit more. Uh, and just, again, gives you that control back, which sometimes I think we feel a bit more happy with when we're in control of what we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a way of, yeah, it's just a way of taking those thoughts and worries and whatever's in your mind and putting it into a place that, you know, it just puts it in a place where you can see it and visualise it and it's not yeah. there as background noise in a sense. And then you're able to put it aside and, and do what you can. Yeah, very much so. So, I mean, yeah. What are some, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a huge story here. I mean, someone who's been to three Olympics, three Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games as well. What are some of the... What are some of the biggest challenges you face, and you know, what are some of the biggest accomplishments as well? Um, it's that's actually a really good question. So, I, I guess some of the biggest challenges I've had have been like dealing with pressure, um, dealing with the expectations, uh, and a lot of the expectations actually probably come from myself. I feel like oh, I've got the pressure of you know the nation behind me. I've got the pressure of my coach, you know, expecting me to do things and my family. But actually, a lot of those perceptions are just myself. Like, I want to do well. You put so much hard work and effort into it. It's only natural for you to feel the pressure because you want to do well. You want to succeed in what you do because, you know, that's why you put that hard work and effort into it. Um, and sometimes, you know, I can manage it really well. And I've been able to come away feeling like, yep, I've achieved this. And then there's other times where it can really get to you. It can really overwhelm you at some points and um, gets to the point where you can kind of feel like a failure. It, it just is it, not a nice place to be in. So that's one of my biggest challenges has been sort of overcoming different types of pressure. Uh, I guess my first real exposure to it was possibly the making the Olympic team for the first time in 2008 because the Olympic Games, you know, it's once every four years. It's the pinnacle of pretty much every sport. Um, but it wasn't until 2012 because it, it was home games. There are very few athletes that ever get to experience competing on home soil at a home Olympic Games. And walking out for my final of the 400 IM, like there was no point having headphones in. No, because you, you wear headphones, get yourself in the zone for the music uh, because the crowd was just so loud, so noisy. Um, and, and yeah, and you can feel a little bit overwhelmed because you suddenly realize there's a lot of people wanting me to do well. Or you can rise to the occasion and think, you know what, let's do this. I've got that support. And the experience I had in 2012 really helped me in 2014. Uh, and, and for that, I'll always be grateful for because, you know, like my last 50 meters in 2014 of my 400 IM race, like I heard the crowd so loudly. Like to hear any noise when you're underwater, like you live in your own head, wow. as I mentioned before. 
Um, so to hear the crowd on that last 50 was just so cool. And you know what, that I used that to lift me up. And yeah, I wouldn't have been able to have done that had I not overcome some of the other pressures that I've had in my career. So yeah, uh, you know, I, learning to use that as actually a help rather than a hindrance was was really important. Um, some of the other hurdles, I guess, have been injuries. Uh, I'm currently going through, you know, rehab at the minute with a current injury and you get little niggles and I've had stupid mistakes. Like I've dropped uh, a weight on my finger, crushed it and burst it open. I've dropped a weight on my chest. I'm obviously not very, I need to be monitored when I'm in a gym because I seem to be dropping weights left, right and center. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, but then my mindset is, okay, right, well, my you know, finger's all stitched up, I can't use it, but I've got three other limbs working, right? Let's try and find ways to, you know, use these other three limbs. Um, mm. I had surgery in my ankle in 2018, and I thought, right, okay, so I can't get in the water because I've got stitches. I can get my upper body in the water. So I was walking on poolside with my moon boot on, and I literally had like a crop top on, knelt on poolside, and just dunked my upper body in the water and just sculled the water. So um, I had no idea whether that was the right thing to do or not, but for me in my head, it kind of kept me, uh, it kept me going, it kept me sane. Um, so yeah, so whenever I'm faced with a hurdle, I do try and find ways. I guess that's my mindset. Is I think outside the box. I think, okay, the solution isn't going to be straightforward. I'm going to have to look at other ways to kind of get around it. Um, and I guess some of my successes come from that because I guess. Success for me has changed over the years. Uh, I used to think success is being on the podium and winning medals. And Rio 20, uh, sorry, 2016, the Olympic Games in Rio was possibly one of my biggest life lessons ever. You know, missing an Olympic medal by 15 hundredths of a second. You know, if you sit, ever sit with a stopwatch and try and start and stop it for 15 hundredths, it's, it's very small. There are athletes who have you know, lost out to medals in even shorter time to that. But for me, you know, that felt like that was my last opportunity at trying to get an Olympic medal. And by not getting it, I felt, well, what's the point? You know, why, why do I keep pushing myself through this? Why, why do I want to be an athlete? You know, the whole point is to win medals, to feel my self-worth was more, uh, and, and, you know, I genuinely felt that my self-worth depended solely on this Olympic medal to prove that I was worthy enough to be up against the best in the world. And it was one of the biggest struggles that I went through, but actually one of the best life lessons because I've come to terms with, well, what actually does success mean? It's more than just the medals. For me, it's the ability to still get up at 4 30 in the mornings to go training to be in the water and actually enjoy the moments, you know, Misty Hyman being there, working hard and just living the moment. Success for me is being happy and content in what I do, not feeling the pressure from everybody else and actually the process towards the outcome. So I have, again, another thing to write down in the, the can't control section is I have no control over the outcome. As much mm. as I'd love to think I have control over an outcome, I don't. So for me, the only bit I have control is the process to get there, like how I, you know, turn up to training each day, the different goals that I set that aren't number related, but actually more physically related. And, um, and yeah, and I've actually been able to enjoy swimming and training a lot more now. And it's helped me so much going through my injury just now. Uh, and even, you know, uh, the come off game win in 2014, I've learned that, yes, being on the podium and winning it was just incredible. But the year leading into it was actually one of the hardest years ever. I was getting my butt kicked every time I raced. I had a lot of self-doubt. I was really struggling with motivation. And I felt I was training the hardest I'd ever trained. But it never came to fruition whenever I raced. And being on the podium was great but I realized that actually it meant more because I overcame my self-doubt I overcame my fears of failure and I overcame the expectation as well that I kind of put a lot on myself so so yes apologies that's a very mishmash answer to your question <laughs> but it's yeah and it's still going like my journey is still going and I'm sure there'll be many highs and lows to add to the list uh, definitely and here for hours talking about them but yeah <laughs> definitely um, so there's like there's definitely a, a, a recurring theme of uh, you know for a lack of a better way of putting it mindset and then just yeah. the point of view of how you view so for example how you view pressure is that something that will affect you in a negative way or do you actually maybe perhaps not even term it as pressure you just are excited by the 
almost like the almost the intensity of the moment um and then you you talked a lot more about a lot about the enjoyment and the process rather than the outcome as well like what i mean can you think back what were the things that i mean what were the penny drop moments for that what were the things that really flipped the switch and uh, incited that change um it it was when i was uh (laughs) sitting on the sofa uh, in 2018, literally the day after that I had the surgery done on my ankle because I'd reached a point uh, where I, I was just fed up. I wasn't happy with how I was swimming. I, I actually had even told my coach, you know what? I don't think I can go on to Tokyo. I, I cannot do this. I'm just burnt out. I am done. I just don't seem to be meeting the expectations. I was still struggling to talk about Rio. And I thought, right, well, having, you know, a couple of weeks break from whilst my foot recovers, it's going to be a good thing. I'm going to need that time away. I think I lasted about 24 hours <laughs> before I realized how much I actually missed the water and actually missed training. Um, and then I kind of saw it as a puzzle being like, right, well, how am I going to stay fit? My, you know, let, let's think of other ways to keep myself, my cardiovascular working. Okay, so I can't run because obviously it requires my ankles loading and all that. And I can't be standing up or on my feet. I can't spin. I can't row. Okay, it's not leaving me very much option for cardiovascular output. So then I realized the skiing erg machine. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a rowing machine, but vertical. Yeah. I thought, right, well, if I get one box, put it in front of that, grab the handle, sit down on the box. And then I just did skiing, like the vertical skiing. And I was getting some really good heart rate spikes and I loved it. And for me, it felt like, you know, this is an actual puzzle. And then getting back in the water and training again, you know, taking, listening to my body. I had my first competition and I kind of also immediately went back into that anxiety of what if I don't do well? What if people laugh at me because I'm going really slow? And I suddenly thought, right, well, let me, what two things can I do well within this race without looking at the time? Well, I've been working on fly kick off the wall because I need my ankle to move. And I want to make sure that I finish really strong because missing a medal by 15 hundredths of a second, I need to nail those finishes. So those are the two things I had in my head. So I executed the swim. And as soon as I touched the wall, the one habit that a lot of athletes do, as soon as you finish is scoreboard, like where the scoreboard is. Look, look, where did you place and what was your time? So I gave myself about a five second delay where I thought, right, did I achieve goal one? Did I do fly kicks off the wall? Yeah, I did. Although there was 150 where I didn't. So, okay, kind of met that goal. Did I breathe in the last 10 meters, finish strong? Yeah, I can say that, safely say that I did that. Then I would turn my attention to the scoreboard. And it actually, and I did, and it took me a little while to realize it gave me a completely different perspective of my time. If I'd looked at that time to start with, I would have been like, oh, that's really slow. That's so slow. I'm like, put you know, 30 seconds on my PB. That's terrible. But because I'd made those goals and I achieved it, I thought, well, that time, okay, so that those goals gave me that time. What can I do now to step up and move on? And I started really enjoying it. I started, you know, instead of immediately looking for that gratification of what time did I go, I started realizing how important it was. Well, how did I swim it? Did I swim it to the best of my ability and work on the little details? Um, And as the year went on, I was actually, my times were dropping and I didn't have to think or worry about my times. They actually started naturally getting quicker. And Mm -hmm. it meant that I was constantly thinking and evolving how I race and how I basically achieve the race the outcome so yeah that for me that was possibly my biggest sort of aha moment and it wasn't until I got to the British Championships where everyone was qualifying for the world champs we'd made the call that I wasn't going to aim for it I knew that I wasn't going to be ready for it so I went into the meet for the first time in like what 15 years where I had no pressure or expectation to make a team and I loved it I actually was like, I had such a big grin and it was almost like you're going in with the the rose, you know, color glasses on and they were just taken off. And suddenly I was looking at my swimming and the sport from a completely different perspective. And I think they actually have a video. um, I don't know whether I'll be able to find it, but they have a video of me finishing my heat swim and everyone's looking at the scoreboard and I'm looking at the timing pad and I'm like tapping the wall with my thumb going right. Goal one. Did I achieve that? Goal two. Did I achieve that? And the cameraman's on top of me and you can see me talking to myself. <laughs> it looks really strange, but it, it, you know, it helped me get through it. And I swam a lot better than I think I anticipated. So 
Yeah, so basically having surgery on my ankle was possibly one of the biggest turning points for me. Um, and it was working at it each day. Like it was that constant. It wasn't going to be just this one big aha moment. It was the continuation of sticking with it and, you know, making that change and actually realizing and looking at it from a broader perspective. The outcome was more than just the medals, the personal best times. The outcome was more than that. It was how to achieve it that I realized was just as important um and yeah and as I say it's allowed me to actually enjoy my sport a lot more and given me that deep perspective and I, I can take that actually not just into swimming but into life at with swimming um because at some point you know I am going to have to hang up my goggles and you know I, you're not going to get gold medals for getting around the supermarket the fastest uh, you know this, I'm going to have to find different ways to kind of get that self-gratification and for me I realized that you know those processes goal setting finding your purpose they all actually are important for me for life after sport as well. Yeah. Just a question I want to ask about the the motivation piece as well. Like, are you quite a strong visualizer of what you want? Um, yes and no. <laughs> yes, once I know what I want, I can uh -huh. visualize it. But I don't know whether it's just me being female. Sometimes it takes me a wee while to find it. <laughs> I can have it's like a big box of like scattered that's like, oh, I want this, but then there's that. And then, oh, actually, no, there's over there. I can, I can, yeah, it takes me a little while to like narrow it down. Uh, and once I narrow it down, I can then focus in on it. Um, but sometimes it's just focusing on, on the smaller stuff first that's actually really important. I mean, there's something really simple. Uh, in training the other day, we were doing a drill where we had to swim and hold one leg out of the water. So swimming freestyle, but with one leg literally up right behind you. It's a little bit hard to visualize, but yeah, it's almost like a little submarine kind of thing. And then my coach said, right, who can balance uh, a float on your foot for like 25 meters and then flick it up and see if you can catch it in your hand? Everyone's like, what's this got to do with swimming? And of course we tried it and it just kept falling off, falling off. And everybody gave up, but I didn't realize it. I was so determined to try and achieve this that I thought, right, well, the float doesn't work. Can I put a pool boy on my foot? No, nope, pool boy doesn't work. Can I put a, a hand paddle? The hand paddle stays on. Okay, right. I'd write, right, I'm not going to move my hips. I'm going to keep my hips. And I just, those little bits, like, and it was something so small and so um, not inconvenient. It, it just seemed, you know, really simple. You know, balance something in your foot for a set length of time and then flick it up. And I was the only one that actually just kept working at it. I failed and I failed and I failed. But I was like, okay, that didn't work. How do I make it better? Uh, right, try that. Oh, that kind of worked, but not quite. Right, how do I adjust it to then? So I kept using the experience of not quite making it each time to learn from it, to then set myself up for the next time. And then eventually I got it. <laughs> Took me so many attempts, but I actually got it in the end. And for me, that was down to my mindset, my sort of inability to like let go of it and to actually still stick with it, regardless of whether I was succeeding or not. Um, I had that goal. I was going to work towards that goal. I failed to get towards the goal. But in that failure, I learned, well, what worked, what didn't work? That worked. That didn't work. Okay, that didn't work. How do I make it work? Try this. Did that work? Yep. Did that work? Nope. Right. Try something else. So I just kept myself moving forwards. Um, and it wasn't until my dad actually mentioned it to me that I realized actually, yeah, that, <laughs> that's kind of like how my mindset works, I guess. I, I, I kind of take and see things in like opportunistic ways. Um, and yeah, and there's always something to learn from it. I don't think I answered your question. I think I've just gone off on a tangent. I'm really sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 good. good. I guess, yeah. I guess like, yeah, something I wanted to come back to was, um, and I think I think a lot of people struggle with this, and I I definitely resonate with it. Where so the, the idea of identity and what you do okay. being a massive part of your identity, and you know for me, uh, you know what I've done in the last ten years with Turtle as a brand and going on that journey to start a business, create a product, create a brand, reach customers, build community. That that has been my life, and therefore when something happened like the pandemic where it has a massive impact on it that's completely out with my control, then, you know, that is quite a difficult thing to reconcile. And, um, you know, one of the things that the pandemic's taught me is it's definitely been a lesson in resilience, but it's also taught, it's also just put things into perspective and, um, you know, um, done so in a way where 
it's the the what I do is no longer it's it's less it's less of what defines me and because of that I enjoy it more and I actually think I'm better at it because of that that's my experience of it what's I, I guess what's your experience of making that switch or, or shift um yeah I think lockdown again has kind of been my biggest identifier because I was a swimmer and the thought of retiring did scare me because I thought well I just want to swim forever ultimately I just want to avoid going into the real world and pay tax and mortgages and <laughs> and all that jazz I'm actually having to try and figure all that out and I really wish that I had sort of sat down and looked at that a little bit more because I would certainly be in a much better position of trying to get a mortgage because trying to get one right now is just a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, and I, as I mentioned after, you know, Rio, I didn't, I, I just thought my self-worth was, well, I'm only as good as the medals that I've won. You know, can I describe myself? I mean, at the start, you mentioned I'm a triple Olympian and you know, double Commonwealth champion. And it's, it, could I describe myself without using accolades was I able to mm. and um and I actually used that as a challenge I, you know I thought well I'm always renowned for being a swimmer but can I actually describe myself without swimming um and I came up with a phrase that I thought described me pretty well I am a full-time body movement enthusiast and a part-time puppy trainer and for me that kind of sums up everything that I enjoy and do I love knowing how the body moves you know I worked awesome. on becoming a yeah, becoming a Pilates teacher. I love working with Poppy. Um, you know, I am clueless when it comes to mortgages and all that, but I'm learning. So, you know, there's more to me than just my swimming. And lockdown allowed me to help that because I thought, you know, there's a lot of swimmers out there who don't have the experiences that I have. The last three Olympic Games, last four Commonwealth Games, the highs, the lows. So I put myself forward to actually start speaking to clubs and to individuals to see if there's anything that, you know, I can help with. And initially I thought, oh, you know, 10 free sessions, you know, you might get a couple of people wanting info. And I think I got like 50 emails and I thought, okay, <laughs> this is, uh, I'm a little bit more, I, I guess, oblivious to the help and input that I could sort of, you know, uh, execute with. And, um, and yeah, and, and that in itself, talking to people and actually having questions that they ask it, it constantly gets me thinking and realizing you know what there's more to me than just swimming and I can be quite fluid with what I want to do and what I want to achieve and where I want to take it and you know it doesn't have to be stuck in this sport box uh you know I can take it into public speaking I can take it into other areas that I'm interested like female health or working with dogs you know puppy training and stuff like that so you know, it's actually being brave and actually being okay with sometimes being a little bit vulnerable and put my hand up and saying, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I need a little bit of a help or a hand, talk to people and actually find that sort of self-confidence. Uh, and one of the talks I actually did with a, a club was about self-confidence. And there are three levels of confidence. You've got your low self-confidence, optimal and overconfident. And low self-confidence are individuals who are quite happy staying in their comfort zone. They're not willing to, you know, step away from it and challenge, uh, not challenge themselves, but they're, you know, they're more likely to just keep doing the same thing and sticking with it. They fear failure. So they're not willing to put themselves forward in case they don't get it right or make a mistake. And sometimes their decisions are based upon the opinions of others. They're more willing to listen to other opinions and make choices based on that rather than actually what do they want from it. And I realized I could actually tick off a lot of those things that I, you know, there were I was terrified of failing. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I struggled with Rio because I felt I had failed and I hated it. Um, I would live in my bubble. My comfort bubble is my routine. You know, get, I know exactly where things are and I'm not willing to change or, you know, shake things up a little bit. And yeah, I'm always aware of what people are saying. And I do feel sometimes it affects the choices that I make. Overconfidence is not necessarily the most attractive traits, but you know it's about being so self-assured that you're not willing to look at uh, another perspective. You know, oh, that person's not—they're not going to swim well. You know, making past judgment on other people without actually knowing what's going to happen. And ultimately, I love the phrase for the optimal self-confidence. You know, confidence isn't "I will swim fast" or "I will achieve this" or "I will do that." Self-confidence is "I will be fine." whether I achieve it or I don't. So for me, in swimming terms, it's I will be fine whether I swim fast or not. 
And that really resonated with me on quite a lot of levels because I thought, you know what, ultimately whatever happens, I will be fine, whether things go well or things don't go well. And yeah, and just kind of going from there, it's um, <laughs> I've kind of lost my train of thought. But for me, that was kind of like my most important sort of message to myself uh, in sort of, you know, dealing with what's been thrown at us with lockdown and actually realizing that I'm more than just a swimmer. Uh, I can turn that phrase into whatever phrase. It doesn't have to be I will, you know, whether I swim fast or not. It can be whether I do a presentation and it goes down well or not. You know, ultimately, I will be fine at the end of this talk or at the end of this presentation or my Pilates class, whatever it is. Uh, and yeah. it's being confident in knowing that you will be fine. Yeah. And then how have you, so I think this is interesting, how, how have you, through that redefined what success is um yeah i think it's uh aligning what's important to me um and definitely during pandemic my family and health has been a huge thing that's been really important um and i guess a little bit of self-trust and self-happiness so, you know, I used to think I had to swim in order to make myself happy. And I realized that there are actually a lot of other things that make me happy. And they're small little things like Poppy at the minute, you know, we, we taught her she can't come up on the sofa unless we have a set, set blanket. Now we've got a box that we put the blanket in, we take it out and all that. She now actively goes and gets the blanket herself when she wants up. And just <laughs> seeing her try to get this blanket out the box just makes me laugh and it just makes me so happy because I suddenly feel like oh we, we've, we've taught her this little boundary and she understands and you know you kind of have that sort of special bond so you know she will always make me happy um and helping others as well like I've really enjoyed working with a lot of uh young athletes I've worked with a couple of people in business as well on certain uh, talks that I've done um and knowing that you know at, at least one person goes away with something that they've resonated with what I've said for me that makes me happy as well um so yeah so my success has certainly become a lot more broad spectrum than just I need that medal I need that first place second place third place ribbon I need some materialistic item to define that moment I've realized that those moments are defined purely on my emotion like if I'm happy with it that's success if I feel like I've achieved my goal then that's my success doesn't matter what anybody else thinks as long as I'm fine that's success that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, to go off on a slight tangent before we get back to the main conversation, what 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 trick? There was a trick you told me that you taught Poppy. Oh, uh, I've taught her a couple. Uh, she can pack my swimming bag. Um, <laughs> she can. Um, I love that. Go and I love that. She gets a blanket. I mean, the blanket's more of a duvet. Like she will literally, and it's funny because I put a couple of other duvets in there. But it's this one duvet that she'll get. It's the same one each time. She'll literally pull it out the box. Um, yeah, she'll tidy up her toys. So I've got a box and, you know, toys are scattered around. And I'll say, right, tidy. And she'll put them into her box. And then that's when I suddenly thought, if I put my swimming bag down, open it up and actually scatter my swimming stuff, can she pack my bag? <laughs> and she can. <laughs> so, but if, as soon as she gets a snorkel, though, she thinks it's a stick and she'll run off with it. But uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed working with her the different tricks and stuff and i'm hopeful that we can work on some scent training because being a spaniel oh my goodness our sense of smells very good mm. um like we, we don't need a hoover or a roomba or wherever it is because she's self-activating she will clear the floor up pretty quickly um but yeah i'm always looking for trying to work with different things and even like you know, just teaching her has taught me a lot about communication because she has no idea what I'm saying. I can like say a whole sentence and you can tell it's like, I don't know what you're saying. But if I say it in like a normal tone like this, she's like, <laughs> okay, Hannah's content. But if I suddenly go like, like change my intonation, she's like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> oh, happy and excited. She's like, oh, what are we going to do next? So I realize the power of communication is more than just the words that you say. It's your body language. It's your tone of voice um so she's taught me an awful lot on communicating and especially when we're not speaking to people face to face you know we're behind a screen 
that's going to be so important when we do get back into sort of the social groups uh, and actually, you know, learning the power of interaction. Um, so, yeah, Poppy's taught me an awful lot on that. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then I guess like we're in, it's now March 2021. Can't quite believe it. Yeah. What, what's your, what are your plans going forward then? So at the minute, I've been creating a couple of workshops for female health. I've really enjoyed learning a lot about it. I didn't realize actually how much I didn't know about female health. It wasn't until I spoke to uh, Georgie Brunevals from Fitter Women in March that I realized at the age of 30, I thought I knew my menstrual cycle. And no, <laughs> I didn't know it at all. And I suddenly realized actually how many individuals do know, and not just in sport, but also in business as well. So I've really enjoyed coming, putting together a lot of the research that I've done, working with fitter women. I've become an ambassador for them. So I actively go and speak to a lot of clubs, hopefully uh, a couple more sort of top level businesses. And it's not just for females, like it's open to males and individuals who want to learn because I do feel that knowledge is power. So working on creating in-person workshops so that hopefully once all this is finished, we can actually do face-to-face -face work because I think there's a lot of uh, cool um sort of uh, examples and sort of um uh tasks that hopefully we can make it more than just you know, death by powerpoint sort of thing um i've really enjoyed as well doing talks so kind of building up i guess looking back that self-reflection on my story the little bits that i can pick out on that can hopefully resonate with people whether it's through motivation olympic are, mindset goal setting. there are so there are so many sorry to interrupt, but there, there are no, so okay. many insights there are so many insights you're very good at, you're very good at self that self-reflection understanding it was that thing that's that's made the change or whatever it was you're, you're very good at picking out the specific things and and rearranging the puzzle to just make it um better align with what's better for you definitely yeah. 100%. i definitely don't figure it out right away it takes me a little while but once i do figure it out it's like a little light bulb moment which is kind of cool um so yeah so kind of creating like uh some talks and again some workshops on that um i became a, a qualified pilates teacher as well again my body movement enthusiasm um you know being able to work with individuals it's not just about lifting heavy weights i'm not a big athlete so for me pilates was a huge i guess for that mental well-being but also just that body control having that good posture so that you know for Saturday at a desk all day you get aches and sort of pains and you know just helps keep your body you know whether you're nine years old or 90 years old Pilates is for all and I really enjoy it because it challenges the body with very little equipment which is quite cool because you can take it anywhere with you um uh so yeah so just kind of working on those little bits so hopefully you know creating a a business of sorts that cap you know captures my story and puts it into sort of some use so hopefully people can have like tips and tools hopefully prov uh, providing a service for female health not just in sport but in you know business as well and then hopefully, you know, train up maybe up and coming athletes to then be able to present it themselves and um, and then continuing to hopefully own as many spaniels and train them up to, you know, <laughs> do lots of exciting things. But there's, there's quite a few bits that I've got on the horizon, which is quite nice. And then ultimately, I've got the Olympic trials coming up in April. So, you know, do my best at that and see if I can make my fourth Olympic Games. Uh, if I can, then that'll be amazing. If not, then at least I've given myself the opportunity to try considering how much of a roller coaster year it's been with both the pandemic and my shoulder surgery. So yeah, there's a lot of exciting things to come. Yeah, and a lot of yeah, a lot of things to take forward as well. Yeah. So uh, you know, final question then. Where is the first place you're going to travel to when the world opens, when the world opens up again? Okay, so when the world opens up, um, I'd love to travel in around Europe. Uh, Italy, for me, is probably one of my favorite countries because, I mean, pizza and ice cream. Um, <laughs> for me, I'm just athlete, always thinking of the food. Um, I just love the climate. I love the food. Um, and, you know, it's easy to get to on a flight. I mean, obviously, with the EU stuff, I don't quite know how easy it is going to be. But for me, if I was to think internationally, I, I would certainly head for Italy. Um in sort of nationally i would actually just you know try the nc 500 like i'd love to tour yeah. around the whole of scotland um and you know take poppy with me as well because you know an adventure with poppy and ewan for me would be like the perfect holiday 
Um, so those are kind of, I'm cheating slightly. Those are kind of like my two sort of destinations, exploring the sort of coastal route in Scotland and making my way to Italy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Anna. This has been amazing. Um, lots of insights, uh, some great stories. Like for me, like, you know, uh, you know, visualizing and I guess put myself in the position of being underwater and hearing the crowd cheering you on um, at the Commonwealth Games must be amazing. To hear that underwater must be must just be incredible. And um, yeah, lots of great insights and stories and I think a lot of things to look forward to in the future. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. <laughs> thank you so <laughs> cool. much. Yeah, well, thank you for being on. Um, cool, well, thank you for watching, everyone. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe and hit that bell. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please follow and subscribe as well. We have lots more content like this coming up, so please tune in, let us know what you think. And yeah, thank you so much for watching and we'll speak to you soon. Take care.